Our first lessons from Exodus chapter 16. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. By the time that they crossed the Red Sea out of Egypt into freedom, Israel had been slaved in Egypt for about 400 years. Patriarchs, of course, had gone down generations before to a friendly, receptive host who was glad to welcome them into Egypt after Joseph had saved so many with his good economic planning. And generations passed, and the goodness of Joseph to the people of Egypt was forgotten, and they were enslaved as they grew many in number. But in spite of that misery, in spite of the darkness of their bad circumstances, God made good on a promise that he had given to Abraham so much earlier, so many centuries earlier. They would be delivered. They would be rescued from their bondage. And God snatched them from the hand of Pharaoh and took them away as his own people, leading them through the Red Sea on dry ground, drowning their enemies in their wake. Miriam, the sister of Aaron and Moses, sang an appropriate song on the occasion to mark it. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown down in the sea. Israel was free, and they were joyful, they were happy, and of course they were. Why wouldn't they be? 
But not long after that, the mood changed, didn't it? People, after they were through the Red Sea and the Egyptian host lay drowned on the sea banks behind them, they were out, well, before them with a land vast and wide and barren. And they became concerned. There's no food here for us to eat. What are we going to consume to sustain our bodies and our lives and our livestock? And, of course, instead of entreating the Lord, inquiring of God what was to be done for them, they complained instead, complained to Moses and Aaron. Worse than a two-year-old who is 15 minutes past when they're supposed to be eating according to their internal clock, they were accusing Moses of taking them out there on purpose to starve them kill them. And they're even pretty dramatic about it. It would have been better for us to have died in Egypt than out here in this wasteland, this worthless place. Now, in the face of all of this, Israel and their grumbling against God, I think the Lord has pretty good grounds not to help them. To do nothing for them. To leave them to it. Ingratitude, festering rebellion, unfaithfulness, really. But the Lord was merciful. Of course he was. As we say in our Psalms, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He promised them in their hunger to rain down bread from heaven so that they could be fed and satisfied. So they deserved death their general sinfulness, and certainly for what they were doing and complaining about, he heard and answered their grumblings against him all the same. He said at twilight, you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and then you will know that I am the Lord. And that's what happened. It's precisely what happened. Exactly as he said it would, it came about. And the problem that they were complaining about, not having any food, problem solved. You're hungry one minute, and you're fed the next. God made a promise, he answered the promise, was faithful to it, and met their need. They had the quail in the evening and the manna, the bread in the morning, a fine flake-like thing, we're told it was. They didn't quite know what it was, didn't have a word for it, and asked, what is it? Moses said, it's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Bread from heaven was promised, and bread from heaven was delivered. Their very real hunger, real grumbling tummies were assuaged, and the newborn child Israel was fed. That food, wonderful and miraculous as that food was, and all the years that they had it, did not sustain Israel as a nation and those people as individuals forever. Those generations that were there then, they ate of it, but eventually they died. It went the way of all flesh. See, as much as manna helped them, that manna in that moment was doing something much more than just feeding those people temporarily 
it was pointing toward the future. See, the manna, it was a real thing. It wasn't an illusion. It wasn't wishful thinking or anything else like someone did a bait and switch and just snuck stuff in every place for 40 years like as if that would have been possible. No, it was real and it served an actual necessity that these people had, a physical purpose. But that manna for those people at that time and that place was much more than that. It was more, even then, in a way that would not be apparent to the people eating it then. Not apparent at least until the prophet that Moses said, like him would arise, would come. Namely, Jesus. In John chapter 6, the second lesson read this evening, Jesus does this. He gives the keynote speech after dinner is done. I'll read the words again because they are important words. I am the bread of life, he said. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. You really have to be squinting at that to not understand what Jesus is saying. His meaning is obvious. The miraculous desert feeding of Israel so many generations, hundreds of years before, was pointing to Jesus himself, the promised Messiah to come later, and the gifts that he would bring when he came. In the fullness of time, God would rain down manna once again. Bread from heaven once again. He would give his people his own son, who is himself, in his own words, the bread of God who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is the new, he is the greater manna. He comes not merely to satisfy the pangs of hunger in the physical stomach that men have, but to satisfy those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, as he says in the Sermon on the Mount. Or as we sing in one of our communion hymns that I know Calvary sings really well, he alone satisfies the hungry heart. And whoever he eats of this bread, he says, will have a life that has no ending. He says these things and the disciples who are still with him at that point have a reasonable response to such beautiful, wonderful, hope-filled words. Sir, give us this bread always. And you know what he does? He gives it to them. He gives it to you. When we come to church... When we are gathered around our Lord's Word and the Holy Supper, Jesus is feeding you. Feeding you with a heavenly manna. Feeding you with the holy food as we're about to sing in the offertory, the canticle hymn, Lord Jesus Christ, life-giving bread, may I in grace possess you. Let me with holy food be fed. In hunger I address you. 
as you feast on the salutary gift of Jesus Christ and his body and blood given and shed for the forgiveness of sins, life and salvation, the Lord is giving you spiritual nourishment for the journey that you are on, long and tough. He knows your hunger in this world of sin, death, and darkness. He knows your need. He sees your battle, personal, each one of us, with sin, flesh, and the world. He also knows this. He knows our propensity to grumble, like the people of Israel. Perhaps even sometimes longing for the flesh pots of Egypt, the things outside of the holy people of God, the ark of the Christian church. But, as he was in the Old Testament, he is merciful, still abounding with steadfast love and slow to anger. He doesn't want you to faint along the way in spite of your grumblings from time to time, but rather he wants you to make it safe and secure to your heavenly home. And so he comes to you Time after time, week after week, as both host and meal, inviting journey-weary souls to feast until the day that we feast in the New Jerusalem above. So, let's learn the lesson from Israel, not to grumble against so good a God, but rather to say amen to what he gives to take his meal. It's far more than something that's merely special. It's the food which keeps us to eternal life. It's worth the time to come and to eat. And really, if you think about it, what does somebody who is starving have but time, especially when a meal is laid before him? Indeed, we are Israel, hungry and wandering. So why should we not receive the Lord's gift, the bread of heaven with thanksgiving? Amen.